and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 19th of November with me, Ian Welsh. Coming up are some further conference insights recorded at Innovation Forum's Sustainable Landscapes and Commodities event in Amsterdam a few weeks ago from Airbus's Patrick Houdry, Louisa Menguzo from Dutch pension sector non-profit PGGM and Innovation Forum associate Peter Stanbury. And a few weeks ago, Innovation Forum's Toby Webb spoke with Isabella Tunaco, Vice President for Strategy, Execution and Marketing, Renewable Polymers and Chemicals at Neste, and Mesba Sabur, founder of Circularize. Highlights from their conversation are also coming up. And if you've not already done so, please do take part in our Innovation Forum trend survey. We've worked hard to make it straightforward and quick to complete. There's a link in the podcast description. Those taking part will get exclusive early access to the results and our take on the trends for 2023. Now, though, it's time for some sustainable business news. The COP27 meetings in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, have continued this week. Perhaps a highlight was the triumphant reception for Brazilian President-elect Lula da Silva, who promptly promised to do whatever it takes to end Amazon deforestation and to embark on restoration. We'll see, of course, but certainly the change of tone from his predecessor is stark. We published a COP Watch podcast a few days ago to sum up the first week, where I was joined from Egypt by Reckitt's Global Head of Sustainability, David Croft, who gave his on-the-ground impressions of how the meetings were going, progress made and challenges remaining. And I'll be trying to sum up what the full outcomes from COP mean for business next week. Coinciding with COP27 was an announcement from a group of leading apparel brands to source 550,000 tonnes of sustainable alternatives to raw materials currently from ancient or endangered forests. As part of the Next Generation Solutions commitment, H&M, Inditex, Stella McCartney, Kering and Ben & Jerry's and others have pledged to purchase low-carbon alternative fibres for textiles and paper packaging. The commitment has been led by environmental non-profit Canopy and is designed as a market pool to attract the investment necessary to scale the market for low-carbon fibres. The companies signed up have already committed to ensuring their supply chains are free of ancient and endangered forests. New research from Accenture says that while more and more big companies are setting net zero targets, almost all of them will fail to meet those commitments unless they double the rates at which they are reducing emissions. Of the world's 2,000 largest public and private companies, 34% have set net zero targets, but of these, 93% risk missing targets based on current rates of change. On a more positive note, Accenture's research finds that worldwide renewable energy investment in the first half of 2022 was $226 billion, the most ever recorded for the opening six months of a calendar year. The demand for renewable energy really is growing ever more. The greenhouse gas-emitting impact of meat and dairy farming has long been accepted to be significant, but new analysis from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy and the Changing Markets Foundation shows just how significant. The combined methane emissions of the 15 of the planet's biggest meat and dairy companies are higher than some of the world's biggest countries, including Canada, Russia and Australia, and equal to 80% of the emissions from the European Union. If the 15 companies were a country, it would be the 10th largest greenhouse gas-emitting nation on the planet. Among the report's recommendations are greater transparency about methane production with stricter reporting requirements for meat and dairy producers and regulation to encourage companies to transition away from factory animal farming. While I was in Amsterdam recently at the Sustainable Landscapes and Commodities Conference, I managed to grab a few minutes with some of the conference participants. Coming up now are some quick-fire comments from Airbus's Patrick Houdre, PGGM's Eloisa Mengozo and Innovation Forum Associate Peter Stanbury. I'm still at the Sustainable Landscapes and Commodities event in Amsterdam and joining me now is Patrick Houdre, who's Head of Sales, Agriculture and Forest Solutions at Airbus. Patrick, we've just been on a session looking at where the cutting edge of remote sensing and satellite monitoring is. 
What are the advances that you're seeing in how big data and satellite monitoring can drive sustainable supply chains? What we have heard today is that satellite imagery is clearly a solution that has been adopted by almost everyone. There is still a long way to go to fully leverage what remote sensing can deliver with new instruments. A lot of questions about access to the data, to what extent it's worth investing in that technology. But I see bright days for the remote sensing in the future. What we have heard as well today is that remote sensing to fully leverage all the capacity we have today using the open source data as well as, that, as commercial data, as the one we, we deliver in Airbus, will call for more collaboration. Collaboration across supply chain, collaboration with Actec, collaboration with practitioners, and also to get the, the lesson learned from single project as the one presented by Jen, which was really, really relevant, but also the feedback from companies moving forward. What we have seen with our experience and starting is that the journey has started with, I would say, not simple uh, question, question where remote sensing can clearly play a role. It's uh, what is deforestation in my supply chain? And today, they are in still in the learning curve regarding uh, what remote sensing can do for them. But more and more, we see new demands also mirroring the fact that the companies are required to do more every day because of regulation, because of good practices that come out from a collaborative space as a good forum or the SBTI. Indeed, it was really interesting to hear all the different types of solutions that are being put forward and also where remote sensing can help. I mean, there was a discussion around the use of remote sensing in helping around establishing the carbon markets and developing more, perhaps not regulation, but kind of more oversight of the carbon markets as we go forward. But certainly there's, there's a lot to do and a lot of solutions coming down the track. But for now, Patrick Kudry from Airbus, thank you very much. Thank you. Joining me now is Eloisa Mengoso from PGGM. Welcome Eloisa, why don't you introduce yourself and PGGM? PGGM is an asset manager and I'm here actually also with Sophie Campaus from MN. Together we represent some of the largest institutional investors in Europe and we invest their capital. As an asset manager, what do you want companies to be doing on deforestation and in terms of thinking around sustainable commodities in their supply chain? Yeah, first of all, we want to highlight that this is a very important topic for us and for peers in the Netherlands. Biodiversity and deforestation are incredibly key themes for us. At PGM and MN joins us in this message, we expect companies that source of commodities to implement solid policies to mitigate deforestation risk, but also to invest in supporting farmers' livelihood and sustainable sourcing. Well, let's hope that we see more of that over the coming years. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. And I'm joined by Peter Stanbury, Associate with Innovation Forum. Welcome, Peter. As always, a pleasure to see you. This morning you had a session, or you're running a session, looking at the right balance between regulation and incentives mm. to end commodity-driven deforestation. What is the right balance, then, to achieve that? I think the distinct feeling that came out of the meeting was that the balance has gone too far in the direction of regulation that actually sometimes that regulation could potentially be actively harmful. There are requirements being put on companies which are potentially onerous about doing things they're already doing, and it's not clear that that's going to have a sort of corollary benefit in terms of increased proportions of sustainable product coming into the EU. What's the answer then? The answer seems to be that the governments have got to step up more. There seems to be a feeling that governments, by which we mean the EU, the Americans, the British, simply aren't engaging sufficiently with some of the sort of detailed issues on the ground, you know, historic issues on the ground in some of these countries, the legal structures in those areas, that there's much more need for governments to step up for the, into this area and government-to-government -government collaboration. So cooperation around better regulation, perhaps. Regulation is still a large part of the solution, but it's better regulation, or regulation better enforced, perhaps. It's regulation better enforced, but it's also looking at other things that may be going on in those countries 
which are unhelpful. Perhaps historic ways of supporting smallholder farmers, which might have made sense 20 or 30 years ago, but which now actually become problematic. Lots to talk about as ever at the conference today and for tomorrow, but for now, Peter Stanbury, thanks very much. Thanks very much, Ian. While we may have recently wrapped up the Innovation Forum event season for 2022, the team are working hard on developing the 2023 conferences. In the spring, we will be discussing responsible sourcing and ethical trade, sustainable apparel and textiles, the future of food and business and climate action and scope 3 emissions. More details of all of that over the coming weeks, but do go to the Innovation Forum website for all the latest information and for how to register at launch rate discounts. Innovation Forum founder Toby Webb recently spoke with Isabella Tonaco, Vice President for Strategy, Execution and Marketing, Renewable Polymers and Chemicals at Neste, and Mesba Sabur, founder of Circularize. They spoke about the role of traceability in developing sustainable chemistry. Isabella, let's come to you first. Tell us about yourself and what you do at Neste. Thank you, Tommy. Nice to be here today. So I work for Neste, who is a world-leading producer in renewable uh, circular solutions. We provide different sustainable feedstocks to various industry use, renewable aviation, renewable road transportation, and the polymers and chemicals industry. Mesbar, tell us about yourself and Circularize. Thanks, Toby, for having me. My name is uh, Mesba. I'm one of the founders of Circularize. We are a startup from the Netherlands. We're based in The Hague and started about six years ago in a journey to enable circular economy and sustainability in general. And what we found out is that traceability and sharing information across supply chains from raw materials and feedstock to final products is essential in doing that. Well, we're here to talk about the partnership that you guys have. Isabella, back to you initially. Describe the partnership you have with Circularize and why you're doing it. Neste met Circularize almost a year ago during a startup day where they pitched their solution to us. And I have been passionate for solutions involving blockchain since a while. It's a sort of a natural fit. And I think one of the things that I'm really happy about this collaboration is that I think in both cases, Circularize as well as Neste, we want to solve a problem. Our values are very much aligned, working together with different value chain players, liaising and based on this ambition to make sustainability a shared benefit has been a joint background for us to build this collaboration as we have today. Mesbar, I'm assuming you recognize those words being the same at your end, but tell us what's in this for Circularize and where are you thinking this is going to lead? The way we started working together was making sure to have this shared vision of sustainable chemistry. How can we scale it? How can we work towards a future of fully sustainable chemistry, which is in dire need. There are a lot of challenges. One of them, if you want to transition to sustainability and circular economy, not having data and traceability is really a huge barrier. Having that data from ideally feedstock and very upstream level, which is where Nesta is playing a major role, is bringing the most benefit because then you can work towards a world where final products, whether that's a coffee machine or a packaging product or even a car, can actually be fully traced from the feedstock so we know where it's coming from, how it was manufactured, and value the sustainability accordingly. So what are some of the drivers for transparency in sustainable and traceable chemistry? Mesbar? We have seen various drivers. Obviously, we have consumers who are getting more and more into sustainability and demanding more information, but also governmental action, NGOs, where particularly with digital product passports in the European economy, we see that upcoming legislation around batteries, automotive, textiles, construction, all kinds of industries, chemistry in the coming years, where 
products that are put into the economy are required to have a passport that shows the history of where it's come from, what's the carbon emissions, or the environmental impact, but also how can we repurpose that product in terms of dismantling it or repairing it back into the economy. Doing traceability early on from a nested perspective or feedstock perspective and tracing that will help then the supply chain to generate these passports and be able to then attach them to their products in the European economy as it's going to be a huge driver, this kind of traceability tools. And you mentioned when we were preparing for this that brand owners and others are going to have to take some real responsibility here. Tell us a little bit more about that. As a brand owner, obviously, it's one thing to start sourcing all these sustainable materials and being able to claim that towards your customers and other external stakeholders. But it's also extremely important to be able to prove that and attach that information to any kind of claim, uh, as is going to be more and more relevant with the things like the digital product passports. Isabella, what would you like to add on this? When we think about molecules that they have sustainability attributes, but they are identical at the chemical level, it's really difficult to back up these claims. And now with the requirements that they'll be coming regarding digital product passports, the entire value chain needs to be also up to speed on understanding how to use technology and being able to translate these attributes into platforms and systems which they are not necessarily familiar with. So there'll be a lot of very fast learning here, I think, for the entire value chain, especially from an industrial point of view, manufacturing point of view, and finally brand owners and retailers on how to use this type of technology. So I think starting now is almost as crucial as to value chain players to keep their license to operate probably in a few months or years to come. So how is this going to apply for Neste in a more practical, everyday sense? Isabella, just give us a bit more detail. How is this going to be put into action for Neste? The thing for us, uh, working on traceability of feedstocks has been already ongoing working for quite some time. It's also connected by the reason that we are serving the biofuels market and is also a part of uh, the compliance element. But we also see that one of the main challenges to translate sustainability claims across the value chain is to deal with complexity, especially if you take, for instance, the polymers and chemicals industry, where you have multiple players until you have a final product that is used by the consumer. In each of these players, they have multiple sites with various recipes. So the complexity in translating sustainability claims along the value chain has also been one factor why sustainability has not yet scaled up and has been really given the right light of opportunity in order to update around climate change. So Mesbo, let's talk about your USP a bit more. Why is what you do different from what else is out there? You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there with solutions around blockchain, around traceability. What makes your proposition unique? When we started about six years ago, we didn't start from a solution space, right? We didn't start because we like traceability and that's what we wanted to do, or we like blockchain. In fact, we didn't even know about blockchain or didn't really focus on it a lot. We started from a problem perspective saying, okay, we need traceability. We don't need it just for one small use case or for just a few products or suppliers. We need it to be operational on a global level for multi-complex products and multi-industries. 
So from that perspective, you can think of bringing a solution to the market and it can be centralized with uh, such as traditional SaaS products. Uh, very quickly, you're creating this Google for supply chain where you hold all the information, which is very hard to scale and, and hard to sell as you become such a powerhouse if you collect all that data centrally. So how do you bring more trust and independence into a system, which is when most companies start looking into blockchain? The problem, however, is that if you truly want to utilize the benefits of blockchain, namely being able to publicly verify correctness of data or being able to prove that data hasn't changed and has been immutable and according to initial statements, you can't do that running private systems. You can't do that saying, okay, well, I run a blockchain on my own cloud. You can't get access to it. It's not a public thing but just trust me, which kind of defeats the purpose. The thing that really makes us unique is that we're actually doing traceability on a public blockchain. We can verify correctness of data publicly, or anybody can do it. In fact, if a brand owner is making a statement using our technology, their customers who maybe have never heard of CircleWise can verify the correctness of that data using a public blockchain, which is very, very powerful. And if in fact, the main reason we're doing this. However, public blockchains come with a huge amount of challenges around confidentiality and privacy and scalability. And until recently also carbon emissions, you know, in Bitcoin, it made a lot of energy. But in fact, a couple of weeks ago, Ethereum transitioned to a new consensus mechanism, which dropped its energy usage significantly by like more, more than 99.9 something percentage. So we're solving all of these things. We have a patent pending technology to solve some of these critical issues around confidentiality, which makes us truly unique in the industry. Isabella, what's the commercial imperative here for Neste, for listeners who aren't quite clear as to why you want to work with this kind of solution? It's a super important aspect, uh, right? Because first of all, it's about understanding the different needs around sustainability claims. And once you have to use a certain platform, you learn and you gain knowledge around the necessary requirements that each value chain player needs. So I think there is a learning component here. The second component is creating or establishing and maintaining relevance. Once you have worked on different projects, initiatives to increase sustainability attributes to your products, you also want to be able to understand and to maintain that relevance for a long-lasting period. So you don't want to initiate projects that they are nice, you can publish them, everybody's happy, but then it stops there. Yeah? So you want to create continuity that those sustainability attributes remain in the value chain. And I think the last element is traceability is a means to enable to achieve sustainable chemistry. If you don't understand the issues at hand, if you don't have an understanding of the complexity of the value chain players that you are collaborating or that you are serving directly or indirectly, it's very tough to achieve that status quo of being more sustainable for a long term. So I think these are a few elements that makes a lot of sense to us. We're also very pleased to see that many forerunner companies and different stakeholders see it in the same way. It's a big learning curve, but the objective here is really make something that is not one-off, but is reliable and there is a lot of continuity throughout a very complex value chains and in different segments. Okay, well, let's talk a bit more about mass balance. It's a term you hear in agricultural commodities, in my experience, more than in chemistry, but you guys are the chemistry experts here. What do we mean when we talk about mass balance? What are the issues here and, and what does your solution do to challenge that area, Mesbar? I can maybe give you a little bit of an overview of how mass balance, this is by definition or by no means really complete and a perfect example, but imagine you're a feedstock provider of sustainable feedstock, whether that's made out of a bio-based feedstock or a recycled feedstock. 
And you source that, you sell that to your customers who then take that to make it into certain products. The challenge really is you need to balance that correctly because oftentimes it's economically not possible to not mix all these materials together. So basically, if you receive that material, it goes into a manufacturing process and it gets mixed with all kinds of other products that are not sustainable maybe, or from different origins. Within mass balance, that mixing and then being able to allocate it accordingly and never making mistakes around double counting, et cetera, those are where the challenges lie. That's also exactly where blockchain brings such an opportunity because you can automate a lot of that and rely on cryptography on the blockchain to make sure that these mistakes or potential issues and errors do not happen by design of the system, as opposed to companies keeping their balances of how much they, they purchased and how much they've sold in Excel sheets and manually allocate them with potential room for mistakes and error. Let's look at where this partnership should be headed. What are your big goals for the future here? Mesbel, let me start with you. It's pretty early days for your relationship with Neste. You clearly got a solution to a problem that's clearly outlined. Where do you want to get to for here? What are you telling your colleagues and investors and others that this is where you want to go in the next, say, three or four years? The main critical thing that we see, we don't want something that's one-off. We don't want one product or one line of product or what have you to be tracked and mass balanced and be claimed to be sustainable. That's not really satisfactory or nor, nor the end goal. The end goal is to be able to automate this and be able to scale this across industries and really achieve a significant portion in the uh, sustainable chemistry industry. This means that what we are intending to achieve is to automate most of these processes. For example, if you're doing mass balancing, there is a ton of paperwork involved. There is a ton of auditing involved to check all of that. And that's where the opportunity lies when it comes to blockchain, because you can automate that and more and more rely on the, the cryptography of that. You just look at how these products have been traced and rely on, on cryptographic models on the blockchain for the correctness of that data, as opposed to manually having to check everything, which is the key to unlock that mass-scale sustainable chemistry. And same question for you, Isabella. You talk internally with colleagues. Where do you want this to go in the next few years? The first element here that I'd like to highlight is creating this connection with the downstream. You may have traceability and transparency from your data upstream, but of course, understanding the challenges from the downstream are even more important. And the reason for it is, if you understand what especially brand owners, retailers that are facing the consumers are in need in terms of sustainability, you can also bring these visions, this specificity about what is coming next regarding sustainability into your operations, into your alliances with uh, suppliers, with projects on the ground and so forth. Where we want to go about in the future, also looking to, to use digital solutions such as the ones that the Circularize has, is to enable the transition between the vision and the existing means to achieve sustainability can be scaled. And for that, you need to create robustness of the existing systems. You cannot do a manual exchange of tons and tons of data so that you know the basics are done today. In a nutshell, I think it's all about creating this understanding what is the ambition, the aspiration, where we should be heading, being able to translate that into your operations. But at the same time today, because those solutions are available to scale up everything that we have, that it can speed up value chain acceleration towards sustainable products. 
Great. Well, thank you both. It's great to hear of solutions that enable scale. I mean, that's something in sustainability has been a struggle for a long time. But clearly, over the last couple of years, we're seeing a huge explosion in solutions. And it's great to see a big company like Neste supporting a small startup like Circularize and trying to take these solutions to market and to scale. Thank you both for your time today. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed that podcast. There are plenty more on the Innovation Forum podcast channel. And of course, we hold a conference on this area and others regularly. So please do check back on Innovation Forum for more insights and podcasts and webinars on this sort of thing very soon. In the meantime, Isabella and Mesbar, thank you so much for your time today. Please note that since the interview was recorded, Isabella Tonako has been appointed Executive Director at Sustainable Chemistry for the Textile Industry. As ever, the Innovation Forum website is the place to go for all the latest analysis and interviews. And don't forget to complete Innovation Forum's trend survey via the link in the description. I promise it takes only a few minutes, and the more of us that take part, the more interesting the results that we'll share with participants will be. But that's it for now. I've been Ian Welsh, and until next week, goodbye.